This morning we continue our journey through the storyline of the Bible in our series, The King, the Snake, and the Promise. So far we've seen God reveal Himself as He powerfully speaks creation into existence. He declares it not just to be good, but to be very, very good. He makes man and woman. He makes them in his own image, and he gives them dominion over his creation. As such, he is the king, the supreme king of this universe. And all of us are dependent on him. Uh, Then we see the unthinkable. God's creation, they think that they know better than God. Instead of taking God at his word, Adam and Eve doubt God's goodness. They grasp at opportunity to be their own God, to determine good and evil for themselves. Adam and Eve, they are representative heads of all humanity, and they reject God. They receive just punishment for the rejection. They're kicked out of the garden, out of relationship with God. That's where we've come to throughout our series. Why don't we pray together as we continue through the series, The King, the Snake, and the Promise. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who has spoken to us, that as you speak, you reveal who you are and how you've moved throughout history. Father, today as we unpack your word and explore it further, we ask that you would change us, that you would help us to know you better, and that we would become more and more like your son. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, relationship is hard, isn't it? Commitment is hard. In 2001, Statistics New Zealand, they do this periodically, they published a kind of summary of where marriage is at in New Zealand. Now, marriage is relationship, isn't it? And so it's hard. Uh, One of the things that that they went through, many of the things they went through, showed just how hard these relationships are and how they struggle, how they break down. But when relationships have been broken down... How can they be restored? Well, as we come to Genesis 12 this morning, things are broken, aren't they? In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, judgment is pronounced across the whole of humanity three times. The first we heard uh, in the fall, Adam and Eve, they reject God's rule in the garden, and they're expelled from it. Then, over the next few chapters, staggering evil, evil upon evil, leads to the whole flooding of the world in Genesis 6. Lastly, humanity is scattered as they try to build this massive tower that will make a name for themselves, and God scatters them in punishment. Things look pretty grim. In fact, in Genesis 6, God makes this horrific assessment. It's on the screen. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all of the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man. 
on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Did you catch that? The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. You know, if God regrets making man, how can we ever hope to have a relationship with him? You see, God isn't a jovial grandfather figure who doesn't take life too seriously. He isn't standing back. He's not overly concerned about what's going on in his creation. Not overly concerned while humanity reject him, while they push back against him, while they say, he's not saying, I, you know, it's, it's all right. They, they do mean well after all. No sin. Sin is a direct attack on God's character, and he will, not car- he will not tolerate it. He isn't a God who has just kind of wound up creation like a clock and set it aside and has turned to tend to other matters right from the beginning. He walks inside it. It's amazing, isn't it? Alongside Adam and Eve, God is there in creation. We see him punishing the disobedient. He observes and makes judgment. He's not hands-off. He's active and uncompromising. Neither is he a God who has unfilled needs. God was complete before creation. He didn't create us to overcome some cosmic loneliness. He doesn't need us to fill an empty spot. But we need Him, don't we? I take this very breath because God allows it. We were made to be in relationship with Him, and we'll only have that if He makes a move. If He makes a move to restore our relationship. And in Genesis 12, God makes that move through a man named Abraham. Or Abraham. I'll just say Abraham for the sake of my sanity as we move forward. Abraham has nothing going for him, nothing at all. Firstly, he is from Ur. Now, this has to be the most unimaginatively named town in the whole universe. What do you want to call it? Uh, Ur is in Babylon. It is a place of evil, a place of moon worship. Abraham's dad, he's a pagan. He's an idol worshiper. But does this cause any problems for God? No. You see, we see something about God's character here, don't we? Something profound. No matter what your start in life is, no matter what your family lineage, no one is beyond God's reach. That's amazing. Let's look at Genesis 12. It's on the screen. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God tells Abraham one thing, 
Go. Leave all that you know, your land, your father, your culture, everything. He doesn't even get told where. God's going to show him that later. See, if this was me, I'd have a few questions first. Like, where am I going? What's it going to be like? I think I'd crack open Excel and start a big table, pros, cons, reasons, where I'm going. Each one of them weighted. And then a massive formula, the most impressive formula you've ever seen to help me come out with one number, which will give me the answer. Am I going? Yes or no? Abraham does none of that. He just goes. God speaks. Abraham obeys. He packs up his life and goes. You see, faith and obedience, they're not separate things. They're always connected. They go hand in hand, don't they? And it leads me to, to wonder, where are the disconnections? Where are the things where my faith and my obedience don't line up? Where is it that I think I know better than God? Maybe it's when I'm running a touch late and I use that to excuse myself for speeding. Maybe it's when I quickly look at my phone while I'm driving. Well, that was just yesterday. But aren't we the same? Where our faith and our obedience are disconnected. But have a look at what God promises Abraham next. Now, these are important. These are the promises which lay the foundation for the, the whole rest of the Bible. These are the promises that will be fleshed out, that will be fulfilled as the Bible goes on. I will give you a land for your offspring, a land to live in for them to call their own, a land God will use to provide for them, to bless them. God will make Abraham into a great nation. He'll be highly esteemed. His nation will be magnificent. It will be large and prosperous. Further than that, God's blessings don't stop there, no. God will bless all people everywhere through Abraham. All people. God is making his move to restore relationships to restore the relationships that have been torn apart by Adam and Eve as they've rejected him. He's bridging the gulf of hate and of evil that's grown generation upon generation throughout the chapters of Genesis. God has been so wronged. Yet here, he promises to restore humanity to himself. Now, do I really believe do I really believe that humanity has nothing to offer God? Sure, I can say the words, I can tick the box, but come on, don't I have something to offer to the team? Friends, what we must understand is what's going on. What is going on here is that it takes God to make a move to restore this relationship with me, with us. Why? Because he has been so wronged. He's the one who would have to forgive. 
He's the, the only one who can forgive. And this is exactly what he does. Building on these promises, God then moves to establish a covenant with Abraham. A covenant, it's basically just a contract, a promise. Promises, they hold some assurance, don't they? But covenants are binding. They spell out conditions. They spell out consequences if those conditions are not met. And so in chapter 17, God binds these promises into a covenant. God's promises for Abraham are repeated. They're even extended. Abraham will be given a land. We've seen that. He'll become a nation. But kings and nations, they will come from him. All nations will be blessed through him. This covenant is a covenant that God is establishing between himself and Abraham. But more than that, it's actually an eternal covenant. It's an eternal covenant that will go on to cover all of Abraham's offspring, all his descendants. And as a sign to cement this new covenant, Abraham is given a new name. Abraham, which means exalted father, becomes Abraham, which means father of many, many nations. It's rather fitting for the man through which God will bless all people, isn't it? Now, Abraham and all of his people are marked with the sign of this covenant, circumcision, to symbolize that they are God's people, to symbolize that they are committed to him, that he is their God. But actually, earlier on, if we take a step back to chapter 15, this covenant is further explained. It's on the screen. This is God speaking. He said to them, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these things to him. He split them down the middle and laid, these, laid the pieces opposite one another. He, but he did not cut up the birds. Now as the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot... And a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. What is going on here? This is weird, isn't it? Cutting animals in half, laying you know, these pieces opposite one another. There's a smoking pot. There's a, a torch that seemed to represent or depict God's presence. But this scene is depicting how a covenant would have typically been sealed at that time. What would typically happen is the animals would be divided and the, the parties would walk through them together as if to say, so may it be done to me if I break this covenant. This is like signing on the dotted line. So the shocking thing is not so much that the animals have been cut in half in this gruesome picture, 
The shocking thing is actually who walks between the animals. You see, it's not Abraham and God that side by side walk through the animals, is it? Each accepting his fate should they break the covenant. But God walks through alone. And throughout the generations, this covenant will be broken almost rhythmically. Abraham will sin. His son Isaac will make mistakes. Isaac's son Jacob will have a bunch of misfit sons. They can't even decide whether they're going to sell one of their brothers into slavery or kill him. Tricky decision to make. On and on. And all the while, who bears the cost of the covenant being broken? God himself. Now that cost becomes even more evident in chapter 22 when a sacrifice is made. God speaks to Abraham. It's on the screen. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, the thought of this is horrific, isn't it? What kind of God commands the sacrifice of children? It's just wrong. We've just seen this God make an unconditional covenant where He will bear the cost when it's broken. Now, is that same God asking for the sacrifice of children to appease Him? No. Let's see what's going on. Sacrificing children was pretty common amongst the surrounding nations. The very nations that Abraham has come from, what God is establishing is this. Abraham, do you really love me? Do you love me as much as the nations love their gods? Do you love me? In fact, the writer to the Hebrews, tells us that Abraham believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. This son Isaac that God has promised to become a great nation. Sure enough, God interrupts Abraham at the last moment and provides a sacrifice to take Isaac's place. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Now, God will go on to provide so much more, do you see, so much more than a ram caught in a thicket. Throughout history, we see the covenant that God has made with Abraham fulfilled. His son Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob's sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. At the time that Israel enters the promised land, the land that God has promised to give them, they are a million strong. That's the nation of Israel, the nation that God has promised Abraham. Through Solomon, 
Israel's wisest king. The nations are blessed by his wisdom. Through people like Abraham, people who weld together their faith and obedience, we share in the blessings of the field of science as we know it. Hospitals, schools and universities, public education, the printing press. All of these sorts of things are blessings for all people from God. It's wonderful, isn't it? 2,000 years after Abraham, a child is born, one of his descendants. And this is no ordinary child. He is God with us, Jesus Christ. Through his death, he pays the ultimate cost to fully restore us with God, to fully restore our relationship with our Creator. Now that, that is a blessing for all people, isn't it? Friends, if you're here today and you don't know that blessing, what is it that stops you? What could be so important that you would be willing to trade forgiveness with God for it? Why don't you come and see Jesus and put him under the microscope at the next Explaining Christianity? Why don't you see what he's done for you, what he offers, the great blessings? Friends, we've been blessed in so many ways, haven't we? Everything that we have is a gift from God. The only thing that we deserve is judgment. Yet God has showered us with blessings, with good things. We have so much at our disposal, time, resources, money, relationships, friends, houses, cars, clothes, and knowledge. Yet if you're anything like me, I forget to see them in light of this promise. The temptation for me is to hold on to them, to turn them into my security, my hope, my dream. When you see what God has done, His faithfulness to His promises, the great blessings that He has shown us, And it's such an immense personal cost. When you've been captivated by the cross of Christ, what cost is too much? What sacrifice is too excessive? What security would you not let go of? I want to put it to you that there is nothing more valuable than this promise. There's nothing more valuable than Jesus' fulfillment of it. The land is the new heaven and the earth that Jesus brings in. The blessing is forgiveness from God. And the people? His church. Those he's brought into his kingdom. This is us. Those of you who have trusted in God's rescue plan. Who have trusted in Jesus. So as we start this new year, Let's look to the God who keeps his promises. Let's order our whole lives around, our goals, our hopes, and our dreams around him. Not ourselves. For he is our God. And he is worthy of our worship.
Let's pray. Father, we are blown away by the promises that you offer. The promises that you bind yourself into covenant and have fulfilled in Jesus. We thank you so much for the blessings that you have given us. The riches and the the wonderful things that we experience because you are such a generous God. Father, we ask that as 2016 kicks off, we ask that you would help us plan our lives, not around ourselves, but around you, the God who keeps your promises. Amen.